Hey guys, welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of Podcast Meets Purpose from Valparaiso University's Institute for Leadership and Service. I'm Liz, and joining me today is Jason Greer. He has more than a decade of work in diversity and inclusion, labor and industrial relations, and leadership and professional development and organizational effectiveness. He's also appeared on and has been quoted by The Wall Street Journal, ABC, CBS, Forbes, WTOP Radio, and Fox News Talk Radio on stories including the Charleston Church shooting and um, Ferguson unrest and protest. So first, I've read like through your bio and everything, um, and I'm really intrigued by your work and how you decided this is what you wanted to do. Um, So I just wanted to start off with like, how did you know? And um, when did you know? Great question. So I've always been fascinated by people. Um, As you can tell, I ask a lot of questions. And employee relations in the employee relations world was honestly something I didn't even know existed. Okay. I knew that I wanted to do something that, you know, took my, the skill set I developed in social work, but also combined it with what I had learned about business right. employment law. And I found this as one of those things. People ask me this question, how did I know this is what I wanted to do? I looked into it. Like, I think you'll find so many people in their careers, whether they're successful or not successful. I looked into it. Um, been doing this for probably about uh, 16 years, and I can't imagine ever doing anything different. It's yeah. just been that much fun. Yeah. Do you want to um, let everyone know, like, what you do? I already introduced you a little bit in um, the beginning, but... Yeah, great question. So I am, how I tell people, there's two sides of my business. One side of my business is I'm the guy that keeps CEOs out of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So if there's any type of employee unrest, uh Issues going on with labor unions. Uh, managers can't get along with employees. Employees are beefing with each other. I'm the person that they bring in to effectively uh, uh, shut the situation down. Cool. So I basically tell people I'm a social mediator. The other side of my business is do a lot of diversity management training. Uh, we're a brain-based diversity uh, training company. So from the perspective of, you know, we're always talking about diversity. And I'm sure... People are talking about that here on this campus all the time. Yeah. The issue that I've always had with diversity conversations is we know theoretically we should get along. So what's stopping us? Mm-hmm. We can look at social economic, you know, inequalities. We can look at the fact that even when you, uh, when you define somebody as the majority and someone as a minority, there's a power imbalance in that, right? Especially when you talk about a minority being anyone who's socially, economically, or politically disempowered and disenfranchised. Yeah. But that's still not enough because it's surface level, right? So I started learning more about the brain and how the brain processes things. And the fact that when our brain, you know, we've evolved. You're sitting here doing a podcast that may reach millions and millions of people. you got to shoot big, right? Mm-hmm. But we have all this technology. Our society's evolved. Looking around campus, you know, I graduated here in 96. None of this stuff was here. Yeah. Right? None of this stuff was here. I was going to ask how much has changed since I mean, it's, here. It's, it's incredible how much has changed. Yeah. Everything has evolved in just in my short 45 years of life. But the one thing that has not evolved is our brain. Because our brain is still walking around, functioning. Our brain is still in a state of, it's almost, uh, it's evolved, but it hasn't evolved. Because it's still things that we're walking around the days of our ancestors. Yeah. Right? So you come across somebody who doesn't look like you, think like you, walk like you. Therefore, they're not you. Our brain goes into a threat state. And that's generally why you see people segregating themselves, even if they're not consciously aware of it. So uh, a big aspect of our work has gone into uh, 
teaching companies as well as not-for-profits, other agencies, other organizations about how to not only correctly identify diversity, but also how to apply diversity in such a way that you're not splintering your organization. Right. What's your area of expertise within that? Uh, I don't understand the question. Like, do you like your area of expertise? Like, what do you go to? Like, all different kinds of businesses. Um, uh, great question. As far as industries. Yeah, industries. Wide open. Okay. We do everything from healthcare, manufacturing, assisted living, um, not for profits. Okay. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite or one that's particularly interesting to look into? I have a favorite, but I'm not going to say it. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> fair. Um, what's your favorite part about your program overall? Uh, my business? Yeah. Uh, I'd say the fa my favorite part about my business is figuring out the solutions. Yeah. Right. But figuring out the solution in such a way that I'm not just standing there giving solutions. I'm actually helping my clients, helping their employees, helping their management team to walk through the solutions in such a way that they own it. Because for as great of a job as I believe we do, we have a very humble approach that we're very much we're here today, gone tomorrow. And we might be instrumental in the moment, but we want to be able to give companies the keys to effectively drive their own business yeah. where they don't have to have a dependence upon us. Sure. Um, what's your vision knowing everything that you know now? If you had the choice, what's your vision for the modern workplace? Probably that people would be honest about what they want. You know, it's... I hear employees saying that they want, they want a raise. Okay, what's that? 15, 16 bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour, 40 bucks an hour, 50 bucks an hour, what do you want? I hear managers saying that they don't want nearly as many responsibilities. Okay, what's that look like? I hear executives saying that they don't want X, Y, Z. Okay, what does that look like? I wish that in business we got to the point where we realized that even though we, you know, business has to produce a good, service, whatever the case might be, because you want people to buy it. That's mm -hmm. the only way you stay in business. I think that business has gotten away from the human element of honesty. Mm -hmm. I think the business has gotten away from the human element of, you might work for me, but I see you. I see your heart. I see your soul. I see your mind. I hear your voice. You're more than just a number to me. You matter to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Would you say that that ties into your purpose? 100 percent yeah what is your purpose um as cliche as it sounds to leave this world a better place mm -hmm. than what it was when i inherited it um i have an overall goal and i've never said this publicly i've only said it to my wife that i would love to eradicate racism in my lifetime i know that racism has uh impacted us i'm going to say us uh, myself and my wife yeah i know that it, I would like to see a day and age in which our daughter, who's 13 years old, can walk around a college campus, can walk around her place of business, can walk around her neighborhood and feel the weight of just being Jada and not the weight of being a black woman whose name happens to be Jada. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Um, what motivates you to navigate what I'm sure are frustrating corporate spaces <laughs> with that in mind? <laughs> uh, probably 
what motivates me. You ask great questions. Thank you. I am driven to the point of being 100% irrational. And when I say I'm driven to the point of being 100% irrational, it's I truly believe that there's a solution for everything. Okay. That's not rational thinking. No. Because you sometimes go into situations that are just terrible. Yeah. Right? The the from a proverbial sense sense the building is burning down. But I have the key to put out not only put out the fire, but to put it back together. So I think what drives me are the solutions. What drives me are knowing that in some shape or form I'm going to say something or do something that's gonna make it easier for the people who work within the business. Yeah. Do you have like a, a method that you go by that makes that work? Because you have a successful business. So something. We do. Yeah. Uh, I don't share. Okay. Don't share that's fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's for sure. Okay. Um, to break things up for a second, how do you avoid burnout with, <laughs> <laughs> with all of the work that you do? How do I avoid burnout? Yeah. I have a beautiful wife and I'm not just saying that because she's here. I have a beautiful <laughs> wife who listens to me. Mm -hmm. And look, I come from the type of background I come from, very stable home life with two wonderful parents, mm -hmm. but emotions did not really factor into a lot of what we do because my father is a child of segregation. Mm -hmm. My mother was a child of desegregation mm -hmm. and they, there's a toughness that you develop. There's a callousness, right? Yeah. that you have to develop in order to navigate through life. And so I don't know that I don't know that I was ever allowed to say I'm burned out. I don't know that I was ever allowed to say I'm tired. Okay. Which in many ways is fueled my work ethic, but it's my wife who reminds me that it's okay to be human. Right? So I think that's it. And I'll read a lot. Okay. So What do you like to read? Everything. Um I can see something online. Like my wife just bought me this book. I don't know if you've heard of the show, The Wire, mm -mm. which the best, best television show ever created. Right. It talks about, you know, the Baltimore police and it was, wow. it was a, a, a fictional work, a work of fiction, but it, it used uh, bits and pieces from things that really happened. Uh, I think it ran five or six seasons, incredible show. So she just bought me this book on the making of The Wire which I'm slowly reading because we've been incredibly busy, mm -hmm. but uh, love comic books. I know I'm 45 years old. Don't, you know, don't crucify me, but I read comic. I'm a voracious reader. So a little bit of everything. Yeah. We, um, the first podcast that I worked on last semester was with Evan Narciss, who um, wrote the rise of the black Panther series. Are you serious? Yeah. So you can go and listen to that one. If you like <laughs> my shameless plug, <laughs> when you go to listen to yours, was, you can go all the way down. Yeah. What was he like? Oh, he was incredible. I was really intimidated because I'd never done, I've only ever done like um, interviews that I can sit down, transcribe, and then write something about. But yeah. this was something that like, whatever I said was going to go out there. So did I did. Did he go here? He didn't, no. Okay. Um, but we got him as a Pathways to Purpose speaker. Um, and he was, he was just really cool. Yeah. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Black Panther is one of my favorite characters. I mean, in our basement, I have frame Black Panther posters all over the place. So big ups. Yeah, you should listen to it. I was so intimidated. I never I became an expert in comic books in two days. That's <laughs> so incredible. that I could keep up with him. 
Yeah, and I think his video is somewhere on YouTube too. His like talk later, his presentation later. Okay. So yeah, I would look. I would look for that. Yeah, just gladly. As an aside. Um, my last little break of questions. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I wanted to be a movie usher. Believe it or not, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a movie usher. Oh. And I'm going to tell you why. I wanted to be a movie usher. I love movies. Okay. And. I figured if I was a movie usher, then I can see all the movies that I want to see. Oh, while and getting, while getting paid, while getting paid <laughs> to see movies, and I love the you know the outfits that they wore. I'm like, this is great. I can see movies before they're actually you know anyone else sees them. So that's what I wanted to be. Far from being a movie usher, but that's what I wanted to be. Wow, that's so wholesome. <clears throat> I wanted to be a paleontologist because I watched. Um, that Land Before Time cartoon all the time with my siblings with the dinosaurs. I love that cartoon. Yeah. Um, okay. Back to the harder ones. What's one piece of advice you would give to students right now regarding their purpose? Be okay with failure. With failure. Okay. Um, look, when you're on a college campus, you have a syllabus mm-hmm. and you have... You know, when you enter as a freshman, at some point, if you follow the process, you're going to graduate. Those four years, five years, whatever the case might be. But there's a certain level of protection that comes from being on a college campus, right? Then you enter into life, and life is difficult. But in the process of preparing for life, we become so scared of failing that we sort of take the easy road at times or the Mm -hmm. safe route. I would tell uh, anybody who's seeking a college college degree, especially here at Valparaiso, use failure to drive your success because I've been very successful in life. I'm very proud of that. But I'm here today because I failed so many times. Right. And it sucks to fail. I get it. It hurts to fail. I get it. It can be embarrassing to fail. I get it. But through every failure, you're learning something about yourself. And by the time you get to the point where you are successful, however you define success, there's a humility that comes with it because you remember the road that you had to walk in order to get there. So, yeah. What do you wish that you would have taken advantage of while you were here? I wish I dated my wife um, (laughs) for, (laughs) for my entire senior year and stayed with her, (laughs) you know, Uh, my wife's class of 99 and something else I think I wish I, I would have done more of is relaxed. I was so caught up in, In my academics, I was so caught up in trying to prove something. Uh, I was also caught up in the fact that BU, I don't know what it's like for a minority student today, but I know that in the 90s, Valparaiso was a very hard place. Yeah. I mean, I was I was sharing with a class today, a social work class today. Uh, I was one of 17 African-American students that in my freshman class. And at a class of 600, 500, I don't know how many other people, and walking through campus and having people come up to me, and I'm thinking they're coming up to me to introduce themselves to me, but they're coming up to me to touch my hair because they had never touched somebody black's hair. Or at one point I looked around at a crowd of people and they're literally touching me. And I felt like a, a pet, I felt like a dog. And you have to keep a stiff upper lip because the moment you get angry, then you get the label of being the angry black male. And probably since I've been 17, I've been physically bigger than a lot of people. So I didn't want to be intimidating to people. Um, 
it hurt, mm-hmm. right? Um, but looking back on it, I also met some really good people. I have some lifelong friends that I took away from Valparaiso. I wish I would have spent more time just enjoying myself as opposed to, you know what? I'm going to show the world how great I am. I'm going to just dig in. I wish I had gone to more parties. I wish that I just, I wish that I had discovered what it was like to just be. Yeah. yeah. We still have a problem with that here. I joke all the time that everyone here is like chronically busy. Um, and everyone uses Google Calendar here. So you like go and look at someone else's and theirs is full. So yeah, I totally, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how those rough experiences shaped um, why you chose what you chose as a career? Yeah, probably because I have a belief and my belief may not be popular to a lot of people, but my belief is that I'm coming for everything they said I couldn't have. And when I was at Valparaiso, for as many good experiences as I had, I had those experiences where I was looked down on. Yeah. I had those experiences where um, it was assumed that I was not going to be something. Um, I watched as, you know, some of my classmates that had certain privileges that I didn't have uh, were given things that I was not given. And so my promise to myself was, as I went along in this process, eventually to get into business, that I was going to champion to the best of my ability those people who have been in that situation. And that's not a, you know, it's not a color perspective. It's more of a, it's a class perspective. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, if you're an executive making, let's say, average executive deal with makes about $8 million a year, if not more, your perspective on the struggles of someone making, barely making 13 bucks an hour is different. Yeah. And they have a voice. And just because they make less money than you, just because they don't live in the house or the houses you live in, right, doesn't make what they think, doesn't make what they feel um, any less important than you, than what you want. Yeah. So I found that this, this beautiful niche within the business world where I'm able to advocate, I'm able to empower, I'm able to bring the voices of people who normally are not heard to the table yeah, and I'm able to do it in such a way that uh, businesses have been willing to pay to listen to what I have to say. So it's been good. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, okay. My last um, sort of question that I wrote down, how did um, Lou Jean Walton's mentorship help you with your vocation? <laughs> Man, that's the easiest question in the, <laughs> in the history of questions. If I could, uh, walk around with a I love Lou Jean Weldon shirt on all day, every day, right? I would. Hey, me too. Yeah, Professor Walton, like I shared with you that I was one of 17 students. Yeah. Um, African-American students. And what I didn't share with you was that I was the only um, person of color at uh, Dow Crinator, which is a dormitory that's since been, you know, is gone, right? I was scared when I started here because I went from a very diverse high school, a very diverse um, city, which is St. Louis, to this. And 
I discovered Professor Walden, I want to say my second day of classes. And I was joined at the hip. Wherever she went, that's where I went. And I had never met, other than my mother, I had never met someone that strong who was willing to not only stand up for what she believed, was willing to stand up for the rights of people who, again, uh, did not necessarily have the voices to speak. Professor Walden's everything. I mean, she's... I've taken her mentorship into everything I've done. I've taken her mentorship into my personal life, taken her mentorship into my professional life. And I've even had those moments where, look, life is tricky. And in the business world, there are times where it's easier to be unethical in order to get the, the outcome mm-hmm. than it is to do anything else. But I have three women who basically stand on my shoulders. And that's my wife, that's my mother, and that's Lujean Walton. So she's everything. Yeah. What do you have to say to um, students at Velbo now that um, are sort of in your shoes where they come um, from a place where people, where the majority of people like look like them and everything and having to come um, and have that culture shock? You're saying as far as being a... As far as like um, black students here or yeah. anyone who may feel like marginalized at Velbo. Use it. Um, understand that in some shape or form, until society changes, uh, you are going to be marginalized to an extent. Mm-hmm. But we have something, and when I say we, I'm talking the children of, you know, post-civil rights act, right? Yeah. We have a luxury that our parents, that our grandparents, that, you know, great-grandparents didn't have, and that's access. You have access to wonderful professors. You have access to opportunities, both uh, domestic and abroad. Use it. And if people... I, I said this to my daughter. My life was tough as it relates to race to an extent, but my life pales in comparison to what my parents went through, right? Right? So also keep some perspective that generationally speaking, things continue to get better. They're hard, but they're not breaking us. They're hard, but you know what? When we were over at the uh, union, so do they still call it the union? Mm-hmm. We are over the union. I saw people from different walks of life having lunch with each other, talking, having fun. We didn't see that when we were here. It was the white students were here, the black students were here. And you see all these people just sort of just talking and hanging out. Use that. But at the same time, do not become so angry based on what you've seen in your life that you close your heart to people who really want to get to know you, who really want to love you, who really want to pour into you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Do you have any like final comments or anything that you'd like to plug or anything like that just to wrap up yeah uh two comments one this was fun good thank you I i'm love, glad we I, had some heavy topics yeah i love i love your your questions thank you and uh the second thing i'll say is i am living proof that anything is possible you know i had parents who poured into me i've had wonderful mentors you mentioned eugene walden has poured into me I got a wife who 
loves me dearly. Um, but I'm going to say that there were times where I doubted that I was ever going to achieve what I've been able to achieve. But I continue to show up. So for anyone out there who is struggling, for anyone out there who is wondering, what's my purpose? Keep living and ask yourself the bigger question of what do you want? Whatever it is you want, go out there and get it. And don't attach a dollar sign to it. You have to pay your bills. I get that. But I think you'd be amazed at what you can create when you're just silent and you're honest and you're hungry. And you go get it. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. What an ending. Thanks so much, Jason. And thanks to all our listeners today as well. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at ILAS at Balbo to see what we're up to between episodes. Jason actually has a presentation at the university a little bit after this interview. So um, if you missed that, you can go ahead and check it out on our YouTube. Okie dokie, that's going to be it from the Institute for Leadership and Service today. I'm Liz, and thanks again to Jason for hanging out with me. I learned a lot today, and I hope you guys did too. See you a little bit with the next episode.